0: Welcome to Intelligence Talks from the research team at Knight Frank. Intelligence Talks brings you the latest insights on property market trends and forecasts, along with expert analysis from industry leaders. I'm Anna Ward, Senior Residential Analyst at Knight Frank. Today we'll be focusing on the senior housing sector, exploring what needs to be done to meet the needs of an increasingly aging population in the UK at a time when pandemics could become more frequent. We'll be touching on some of the findings in Knight Frank's senior living and healthcare reports. I'll be chatting with Head of Senior Living Research, Lauren Harwood, and Mandeep Bogle, who is an Associate and Development Consultant in Knight Frank's healthcare team. We also have a special guest today, Anne-Marie Nicholson, partner at PRP Architects. So Lauren, you've written a report on the senior living sector at clearly a very difficult time for retirement and care home operators. Just to begin with, how would you define seniors housing? I think, you know, for many people, they might not understand exactly what that means.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I I completely agree, Anna. So seniors housing or senior living, as it's also known, is situated between the residential family home and care homes. So it offers the independence and the own front door experience of the family home. But crucially, it's in a professionally managed setting, providing higher levels of service and care. And its importance within the wider health and social care settings will unquestionably continue to grow, especially in light of the pandemic. So in terms of the senior housing market, it is a diverse sector comprising of both retirement housing, or age restricted housing, which is designed with the downsizer in mind, and housing with care, Now, housing with care or extra care, part of its proposition is the high levels of service, care and support that's provided within the scheme. And it's really important that we distinguish between these two segments of the market and what they offer, because there are some huge differences.
0: And just looking at the overall market, I mean, what are the projections for growth? And what's the current supply landscape looking like in the UK?
1: the senior housing market is currently in a development phase we are seeing between 8 and 9000 units delivered annually in the uk so at the moment there are approximately 730000 units in terms of delivery this has predominantly been that retirement housing part of the market that i mentioned before the lower levels of service and kind of care and acuity what we've basically seen over the last couple of decades is an increase in the provision of housing with care so this has been backed by significant institutional investment. And we're now seeing kind of platforms based on higher levels of care, immunity and hospitality coming forward. So today that the market is quite diverse. It allows for a number of different propositions in terms of location, tenure, price point, and we're really seeing a widening of the sector rather than a shift in it. The strong growth that I identified with, particularly within the housing with care market, which is backed by this increasing institutional investment, has seen a shift towards a number of things. So we're seeing larger schemes being delivered in an urban setting, mixed tenure and rental propositions, and this increased services and care in the setting of CCRCs, continuing care retirement communities. And therefore operators have an increasing focus on producing stabilized income. So this increased activity resonates in the forecasts of future delivery. In the next five years, by 2024, We forecast there to be an additional 74,000 senior living units in the UK, and that's about an increase of 10%. That would then translate to more than 800,000 units in total by 2024. Now, much of this growth, unsurprisingly, has been attributed to the housing with care part of the sector, backed by this institutional investment, which is charging ahead with the forecast 48% growth over the next five years which is which? Is staggering if you kind of look at the numbers in the report. And in terms of retirement housing, we expect to see this steady growth continue with a 5% forecast over the period.
0: Uh, so, Lauren, if you're a private developer looking at investing in this sector, just geographically, I mean, where do you see most of these developments happening? Where are the sort of hotspots for investment?
1: The latest piece of research that we've conducted has looked at where are the highest opportunity areas for private development in the UK This has drawn together a number of key metrics around kind of demographics, existing supply, wealth, and then local plan analysis on commitment to delivering seniors housing. What we've seen is the highest opportunity areas are those where all of these metrics are aligned. So a lot of this focus for the private sector is on the Southeast and London, which has the highest rankings with Horsham coming out on top. In areas such as this, there is a combination of a large pool of seniors high growth forecasts in terms of population, significant senior wealth in property ownership, a good structured existing senior supply, and a good welcoming planning environment. Just
0: thinking of trends that were sort of pre-pandemic, I suppose, but the idea of, of, of senior living being more integrated into communities like on high streets. Anne-Marie, what, what are your views on that? And I mean, obviously, you know, at a time where lots of people want to isolate, I mean, do you think it's still desirable, really, to have this kind of accommodation on, on high streets and close to the community? Absolutely. I I think there's levels of isolation, aren't there? And nobody wants to
2: isolate in the middle of nowhere with nothing around them. You're better off isolating where there's access to things. And all throughout the pandemic, deliveries were being made safely and carefully, you know, from all, all sorts of locations. And I think living in town in a high street means that it's right there at your doorstep. Even and when it, when it, when you're not in a pandemic, it's it's even nicer because you can just pop to the shops. You can pop to your local hairdressers, pick up some fresh fruit from the grocers, pass people in the street that you know. you it's part of your community, and and it's it's very likely that if you live, if you choose to live in one of these places that you are going to know people because you're going to be living there because you want to live there you've probably downsized or decided that you don't want to live in you know, maybe you're on your own now and it's it's nicer to live in a community so you know you might go to your old haunts there's there's no reason why we're creating new spaces for people to go to but they want to go to places they've been to forever visit their gp use the local dentist etc so Yeah, I mean, I think older people have got very little choice at the moment. And this this idea that, you know, with with high streets struggling as they are at the moment, an injection of 24-hour residents who have disposable income, they're consumers, they've got eyes on the street, they create community, some of them are still working, some of them are caring for grandchildren or other people's children or taking each other to various activities or health appointments. I think it's absolutely
0: fantastic. What about the build-to-rent sector for seniors? I mean, I think there's a lot of focus really on the sort of younger age renters in this space. But what can you tell us, Anne-Marie, just about the build-to-rent space? And do you think that will become a sort of growing, more serious trend?
2: I think that the build-to-rent model that is currently there for you know large-scale use within the younger age group is probably unlikely I wouldn't ever say never but it's more unlikely to be something that we'll see soon It's more likely that we'll see the continuation of smaller scale rental schemes where they are only rental they'll probably be smaller but what we will see is where you've got large schemes say you know 200 plus a large proportion of those will probably end up being rental it offers so much flexibility on both sides it gives the developer the chance to get some income rather than waiting for the sales process to happen fills up skiing scheme quickly creates you know a huge difference when the building's got people in it and, and using it for the resident or the tenant it means that they can move in quickly normally in a, in a state where they're having to make decisions quickly or very difficult decisions life-changing decisions sales you know sale of a, of a house or a home or changing medical or you know, physical situation, it's difficult to make all of that in a rush. So to be able to rent and check it out and you know feel safe, I think this is a really, really positive thing. And a lot of people, I think, will end up considering it because it's it's not a care home. Everyone fears the, the care home, but nobody plans to go into a care home. But you can plan to rent and, and make that decision quite quickly.
1: I'll just add to that, Anne-Marie, I'm completely right. There's a number of benefits for renting in later life. The flexibility point that you made and choice. There's also the kind of on the financial side, tax planning implications, so inheritance tax, reduced cost of moving with no stamp duty. And also no event fee charge on, on resale. So just some other kind of considerations for tenants and residents further along the line.
0: And how does COVID come into that in terms of how it's driving the sector? And obviously, the UK population is aging, and that that was already the case. But how do you see COVID influencing development?
2: Well, it's a really interesting time because even though I've been in the sector for so long, it constantly changes. There's some really exciting things that have happened over the years. The focus on design really happened about 10 years ago with the the Happy report. But of course, things have really hotted up since the private sector have joined in numbers and investors have been looking at this sector for a while. So it's continually changing. And now we have this, not only do we have the COVID situation, but we have consumers of this product wanting to live in particular places. They want to live in the high street, they want to live in the centre of town, or they want to live you know, out in a rural setting. So the options are growing. And, you know, there isn't one size fits all anymore. COVID-19 has shone a spotlight on is this a good place to live? And turns out, yes, it is. It's really good. And actually looking back at what we've been doing over the years in terms of good design, a lot of what has been said, not just by our practice, actually helps with you know, infection control and limiting isolation and and really engendering a sort of social interaction and more pleasant
0: spaces to live in. So we've spoken quite a lot about the opportunities for growth in the sector. And Lauren, I wonder if you might just be able to perhaps highlight some of the challenges in this sector and and whether you think that government legislation is really encouraging growth in the area.
1: Yes, absolutely. So there are a number of challenges to growth in the sector. I think lack of clarity and education plays an important part in that. Hopefully, the work that ARCO has been doing, and as I said, the pandemic has placed a spotlight on on seniors and this sector, um, and we're hoping that will improve the education and understanding what the proposition of senior housing is. We still feel that planning is one of the largest barriers to growth in the UK. Our recent joint research report with Erwin Mitchell highlighted that more than half of local authorities in England do not have a clear policy in place to support housing for seniors. This research was conducted back in 2017 by Owen Mitchell, which found that only 10% of local authorities had a clear policy for seniors housing, had allocated sites for seniors housing, and had a clear stance on still and affordable housing. Whilst this number has increased to 18% now, I think, there's still a long way to go in kind of getting this buy-in. We think that is one of the greatest challenges to the sector at the moment.
2: I think one of the other issues, and it comes out of the issue that there aren't enough local plans that have taken on board their approach to older people, there are a number of master plans being developed across the country, large swathes of country being planned for future growth and future housing, and primary schools, etc. And quite often, there's no, nothing for older people considered. I wouldn't say that it's never considered, but it's been a rare occurrence I remember about 15 years ago sitting with a developer who described the housing for older people that was on the site as a necessary evil, which is a real shame. We have moved on, but there still has to be a good reason not to have a strategy for older people within a master plan of you know some 1,500 units. Even new communities have older people in them. And as we've said before, they are the community and they, they do have a role. And when we're designing things, fuller people we can do that in mainstream housing if we do it well but we doing it in specialist buildings brings the additional facilities it can act as a hub it can act as you know the the focus of a community with all sorts of intergenerational links and uh, synergies between the different generations
0: so i mean that's that's one of
2: the things i I mean do you
0: think covid will at least change mentalities in this sense i mean surely a pandemic should be enough shouldn't it to really get people thinking about this sector
2: I do and I think you know it's been the biggest bit of PR or it should be for the sector. It's got so much to offer and people are listening and also on a very local level I can even say that I've got to know a lot of older people on my street. I live in a typical terraced row of houses and being a busy working mum I don't get to see many people but we made some cakes for the local action group and a lot of the old people and young people were together making them and chatting and talking and They are the bedrock of the community
1: and just to add to that point i think local authorities you know and and their planning for seniors housing is improving there's definitely been a marked improvement but there's still a long way to go to address kind of the elderly population and and some of the statistics that, that come out from the ons on the number of seniors in the next 10 20 30 years is staggering and it's absolutely crucial that we find a way of providing appropriate housing for seniors to age in place
0: So, Mandy, your report on development opportunities shows that there were over 6,700 beds deregistered in the last year. Obviously, that's a big number. Why are homes closing and what sort of homes are closing?
3: So, as shown in the report produced by Joe Brame, our healthcare senior analyst, the average size of the homes that deregistered were 30, and a large proportion of them were under independent mom-and-pop ownership. We've actually been seeing this trend in the market for some time now, where economies of scales are not being achieved. The increase in operational cost and lack of social care funding having an adverse impact on these facilities. When looking at the Care Quality Commission ratings at the time of deregistration, almost 60% of the stock was rated inadequate or requires improvement, which means that failing care standards is clearly a cause of closure financial stress is also a cause and a possible knock-on effect leading to failing care standards. But going forward post-COVID-19, we think further burden will be put on such facilities with an increase in costs such as personal protective equipment and acceleration on capital expenditure to ensure that homes are suitable to manage pandemics going forward. On the flip side, even though fewer homes had opened in the same period, there was a net gain of around 270-odd beds with around 60 beds being the average size of the newly registered homes. Now, this shows that there is demand for larger, modern, purpose-built and future-proof care facilities.
0: So, Mandy, although there was a net loss of care homes, as shown in the report, why was there a net gain in beds?
3: So, the main reason for that is that the care homes that are closing, on average, they're 30-bed care homes, and the ones that are opening, on average, they're 60-bed care homes.
0: And just thinking about design implications following the pandemic, I mean, do you think that there will be fairly significant changes on on that side of things? We've heard obviously from Anne-Marie around quite a lot of all of this, but what's your perspective on it?
3: Yes, definitely there will be implications. Up until COVID-19, design in care homes has evolved to incorporate integration between residents. However, post-COVID, a higher degree of focus is actually on the ability to self-isolate, enhance infection control and reduce touch points. Now, just to touch on the ensuite wetroom uh, wet room provision within the market. This is a norm in prime and super prime assets, but we could see a high degree of retrospective fits and extensions to secondary tear assets to include wet rooms to reduce the use of shared assisted living baths. But having said that, this would no doubt present a challenge for the older converted care homes within the market. In terms of design, there are several elements to consider, actually, and some of which include dual entry into the homes so that visitors have their own access points. Pods or outbuildings are being considered so that residents can meet their loved ones in a socially distant way and away from the main care building. Similar to children's nurseries, actually, social bubbles are being considered within the care home, which includes compartmentalization of the walls, allowing flexibility. And an adequate outdoor space and garden design is a key consideration as well. We think technology will continue also to play a part to reduce touch points where necessary, where, whether that's through acoustic monitoring or motion sensors.
0: And Mandeep, just thinking back to your report, obviously your development is a key focus. I and mean, where do you see the areas of highest opportunity for developers and operators in the UK?
3: So after analysing several variables, such as elderly population, economic growth, wealth profile, future supply and land values, and also trading performance. We've identified Buckinghamshire as the top county development opportunity in England as well. Buckinghamshire is quite a wealthy county and it's reflected in the average weekly fees that are being achieved here. The elderly population is growing and the demand is outstripping supply. For similar reasons, in Scotland, Edinburgh has ranked number one. So we do appreciate that the micro location will be the underlying determining factor for a suitable site. And although this is a useful guide, can certainly assist in providing more granular ad hoc analysis and microlocations within these counties for you.
0: When acquiring a care home site, Mandy, what are the key considerations for care home developers, operators and investors?
3: So as part of the land sourcing process, we follow quite a stringent process for our clients in identifying suitable care home development opportunities. Typically, the site sizes are between one to two acres. It needs to be regular in shape and a relatively level site. The microlocation and its setting is imperative. The ideal location within the catchment area is to have sort of a mixture of household with high profile of affluence. There is a balance between potential private fee payers and potential staff. The location also needs to be accessible for staff and visitors, and therefore it needs to be close by to public transportation, which accommodates various shift patterns across the day and night, you know, whether that's from 8am to 2pm, 2 2pm 2 to 8pm, or 8pm to 8am. It, it needs to accommodate various shift patterns. And there also needs to be demand for a care facility from an asset quality perspective too. Having said that, obtaining satisfactory planning consent continues to present challenges, um, and we're being asked by relevant planning authorities more now than ever before actually to provide needs assessment to support such planning applications. So that kind of leads me on to sort of what about the next 18 months? What can we expect? I think we can expect the repurposing of alternative commercial use and class assets to incorporate health facilities. We can expect care and retirement living to form part of high street revitalisation and repositioning of existing care homes to suit post-COVID-19 environment. It's busy times ahead, to say the least. The report will be released this week, which will give you further insights on some of the topics discussed.
0: If you enjoyed this episode of Intelligence Talks, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please also make sure to share this episode on social media and check out the show notes for more information.